Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and this week's message is from our series titled Looking Up. Today, we start this new series and begin discussing God's answers for times of anxiety, depression, and doubt. We're going to start this series in Philippians chapter 4, so go ahead and grab your Bible and follow along with Kurt as he teaches from this passage. Well, good morning. Hi there. Let's see. Today we're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 4. We're starting a new series called Looking Up. Uh, And over the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about God's, uh, God's approach to helping us through mental health struggles, okay? And so this morning, we're gonna focus in a little bit on anxiety. Next week, we'll look at um, kind of like, what does God say about depression? Um, The week after that, I'm gonna give you some relationship tools. Really, all the way through this, I'm gonna be talking about, man, just get in relationship with God and he he wants to care for you. Um, But uh, we'll look at that the third week and then, um, I think that's how it goes anyway. Um, And then Dawn is gonna share one week about uh, if you were walking through with someone through mental health struggles, how would you do that? Okay. And so as we go through this, some of you are going to go, man, anxiety, depression, not really something I deal with. I guarantee you know somebody who does struggle with it. And so there's tools here for us to be uh, walking alongside others or for you, if you're in the middle of this to just, you know, the, the, the title of the series, looking up, look up to God and see how he cares for you. Uh, so that's what we're going to do today. And then over the next couple of weeks uh, on your handout, uh, there is a question, there's a set of questions, and on uh, the fourth one is, um, it says, I'm most worried by, and then you fill in the blank, um, and it worries me because, and you fill in the blank. And so while I'm talking about some of the facts and misconceptions, as well as God's approach to mental health, um, jot, jot down, I'm most worried by, you fill in the blank for yourself, um, and then it worries me because, and then fill in the blank. Um, now, you may have walked in here thinking about what worries you most, um, or if you're like me, you're not exactly sure what it is, but there's something there. Um, and maybe God will show you as you go through this. Um, so that's what we're going to do. Um, let me share with you some of the facts on mental health. Since the pandemic started in 2020, um, mental health struggles are have just gone up and up and up. Okay. So 9.7 million anxiety prescriptions in 2020, that's up 10.8%. Uh, 29.7 million depression prescriptions, that's up 9. 2% in 2020, okay? And the first thing I want to say is that um, one of the misconceptions about mental health uh, from the Christian community is that medication is unbiblical. You just need more faith. Um, that is not right, okay? There is a time and a place uh, for uh, for prescriptions to be a part of your life. Um, and the, the idea behind them is that w- what happens when you get deep into anxiety or depression is that you, you end up with a chemical imbalance in your brain, okay? And so what these drugs, uh, medications, are there to do is to help you balance back the way that things should be, okay? So uh, this would be a healthy approach to go and see a doctor and say, hey, I'm really struggling with anxiety and depression, one or the other or both. Um, What can you do to help me? Um, And and, and that would be a healthy approach. These next ones are some unhealthy approaches, okay? So alcohol sales uh, were $41.9 billion in a six-month period in 2020. That's a staggering number, first of all. and that's up 20% in 2020. So there are a lot of people that are drinking more than they had previously to the uh, to the pandemic. Uh, opioid drug overdoses were up 18% in 2020. Uh, viewing porn online was up at least 38% in 2020. It could be higher than that. The numbers varied, but it's 
up at least 38%. And then eating disorders were up as much as 40% in 2020. And so there's a handful of things that people are turning to to cope, these coping mechanisms. They're, they're not the best way to go about this. Um, and uh, coping within the Christian idea, a coping mechanism is not a, not a biblical idea. Um, we don't turn to something to numb us to get away from the pain. What I'm going to show you as we go through this is that God has a purpose for the struggles that we go through. Um, he wants to use those things in your life, and I'll dig into that a little bit more. Some of the other misconceptions that have come out of the, the church is that mental health struggles show a lack of faith. You just need more faith. You know, your life, if you, the only reason you have these problems is because you have a lack of faith. Um, and that is not a biblical perspective either. Uh, some of the most faithful men and women in the scriptures, you, you can read how David uh, really, really struggled with anxiety and depression um, in the Psalms. This is not a faith issue. Um, and so don't feel like, man, there's just something wrong with me, which is the next one. And the next two things that you kind of deal with in misconceptions is that if you struggle with mental health, um, you're failing and you're weak. I, I'm a failure and I'm weak if, because I, I deal with these things. And because I feel like a weak failure, I, I certainly wouldn't want to talk to anyone about them because I would definitely get judged if I did that. Um, and uh, that, that just shouldn't be that way. Um, and so one of the things we want to do as you go through this, um, if, if you need somebody to reach out to, and there's a number up here, prayer or support, you can text that number. As you go through this, you're saying, man, I, I really am struggling with this and I could use some prayer. I could use some support. Uh, we have a team of counselors that know how to do this. Uh, they'll, they'll walk you through it in a, from a biblical perspective. We also, we're not licensed uh, medical professionals in this realm. So we'll give you a biblical perspective, but we also know the places where we go, man, you really should see somebody um, to help you um, in, in a medical way as well. And so um, if this is something you're working through, don't sit there all by yourself. Um, that is definitely not God's design. Um, the, the, other, the other thing that you don't want to do is um, coping by self-medication is not a better, better option than seeking help, okay? Uh, so coping through alcohol, drugs, um, eating disorders, pornography, uh, other unhealthy habits, this is not how you want to deal with this, okay? God has a different perspective for you. And so the first thing that God wants you to know if you're in the middle of this is uh, he's with you. He's present with you and he, he cares about your pain and he wants to guard you. He actually wants to set up, we'll look at it in this passage, he actually wants to set up walls around your heart and your mind to protect you. Uh, he wants to do that for you. The other thing that he gives you is his word. Um, God has wonderful truth that he wants to share with you and make you whole and help you think correctly. God wants to give you himself. He wants to give you truth. Uh, the other thing that God does is he has a family of believers and this family of believers here at the church at Hilltop, we strive to be um, those the vessels of God's compassion passion, his hope, his love, and his power. Um, we, we shouldn't be people that are known for judging others. We want to be vessels of hope, love, and power, okay? That's what we want to be here to do. And so that's what we're going to look at over the next several weeks is what, are, what is God's approach? How does he want to help you with these things? Um, as, a, as a believer, how could you come alongside others and help them? And, uh, and, that, and that's what we're going to dig into. So before we get into the passage, let me pray, and we'll, uh, we'll look at Philippians chapter 4. So, Father, we, uh, we thank you that you do care about us. We thank you that you're with us. Uh, we thank you that you give us truth. We thank you that you have uh, equipped and empowered um, those who are followers of Jesus to be uh, people that are known for compassion, hope, uh, your compassion, your hope, your love, and your power. Um, and God, as, as, we, as we go through further into this season where we're just not quite sure what's going to happen next, um, it, it does cause anxiety. Uh, the anxiety that we feel most of the time is because we, we, we know that there's a lack of control that we have in our lives. 
Um, but thankfully, God, we know that you are in control and that you have meaning and purpose in the difficulty, in the struggle. And so uh, may, may we see that this morning and learn how to fix our eyes on you, to look up instead of at our circumstances. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so anxiety. The, the idea is that anxiety is about control, um, and control is an illusion, okay? Uh, and, and I was thinking about this this morning as our clocks um, fell back. Uh, we can't even control what happens to our clocks. Um, I, I, I like Would anyone in the room actually pick this happening? Um, but it happens twice a year. Our clocks change. Um, and I think there's some maniacal person looking at all the parents in the room going, watch this, guys. This is going to be funny. Their kids are going to be messed up for three weeks, and then they will be too. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we just don't have a lot of control over the circumstances in our world. Um, I think this has become very clear on a deeper level with uh, what's gone on with the pandemic, uh, the way that our government has approached it, where we maybe wouldn't choose the approach that's being picked. Um, and, and, and so we just recognize that we don't really have as much control as we'd like to, but we do know the one who is in control. And so when we look at this passage today, we're going to read um, from a letter from Paul to a, a church in Philippi. So Paul helped plant this church. We, re, we, we studied that in Acts chapter 16 a few months back. Um, and what Paul is doing in this is he's thanking the church for a gift. Um, he's, he's saying good job to the, the church, one of the church leaders there in Ephesus. His name was Epaphroditus. He's telling him he's just doing a great job. Um, he's warning them against theological error, and he's encouraging them to strive for unity. And it's in the middle of this topic where he's encouraging them to strive for unity where we read the passage that we're reading today. Okay, so he is he is imprisoned uh, during this time. Paul is either in Rome, uh, Ephesus, or Caesarea. It's not one hundred percent clear which place he's in, but he's he's imprisoned during this time. He's been arrested, and he's either on his way to Rome or in Rome uh, while he's imprisoned. And that's where these passages, these verses, show up. So it says in Ephesians chapter four, it says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." I will say again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, and if, any, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard in me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. And so the first thing that he tells us to do, um, and he's, he's telling us to do this from, from prison, right? You have to remember that's where he is. He's telling us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Um, and so the, the first thing that he tells us to do in our difficult circumstances is to choose joy. Uh, he wants us to choose joy. And the reason he wants us to choose joy is because God is gracious. The word rejoice uh, is actually a combination of, of two words in the Greek, but uh, it has the idea of, of celebrating God's grace. Uh, it has the idea of partying in God's grace. It's like we just recognize how much God has given to us what we don't deserve. And you actually just want to live every day, regardless of your circumstances, just going, thank you. Thank you so much for what you've given me. What, what an amazing gift giver you are. Uh, you, you give me your presence and you're with me. That's the next thing he says is that the Lord is near. And, and you're just, you, you're such a good and caring God. And so you party, you literally, that's the idea, is to party in God's grace every day. And so the first thing that we have to do is we have to recognize that when we're in difficult circumstances, what God is calling us to do is not go, 
oh, please change the circumstances. He's saying rejoice in the middle of difficulty. Be, be thankful that God has actually put you in the season of life that he has you in. Um, he, he's, he, the idea would actually be like, hey, thanks for the pandemic. Sounds kind of weird, right? Hey, hey, thanks for these weird mask and vaccine mandates. What? You want me to be thankful for that? Hey, thanks for, thanks for our government becoming more and more controlling. We really like this. Well, we don't like it. But he says, be thankful. And, and so you go, why? Like, how could I be thankful in the middle of this stuff? I thought I was supposed to complain about this. And yet he's in prison. And he doesn't say, he doesn't say, complain always about the fact that I'm in prison. Complain always. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And so what we have to, the first thing we have to do is we have to change our mind about difficult circumstances. That's the first thing that we have to do. And, and uh, what science has shown, and, and the scriptures back it up, is that each of us, we develop what they call neural pathways. And so we have our brains sort of pre-wired to respond to certain circumstances in certain ways. And the idea would be like, if you were headed out, you're going to go deer or elk hunting or whatever, and it just rained the night, maybe the week before, and a couple of big trucks drove down that dirt road before you, and there's just these ruts in the road. Um, and you end up in those ruts. And the idea that the scripture presents is that we actually want to fill in those ruts. We want to fill those ruts in with truth and then choose a different path. And that's the same thing that we want to do with our mind. Uh, we want to rewire it to match God's definitions of what is happening. Okay? We want to change the way that we think to match the way that God thinks. And so we have to fill in these ruts. And the first rut that needs to be filled in is for us to say, hey, when difficulty comes, not if, but when, everybody's going to go through difficult circumstances. The question, are you going to do it with God or not? Are you going to do it with God or are you going to do it on your own? And so what we want to recognize is that the difficulty is going to come. No one can choose to change 2020 or 2021. I don't know what's going to happen in 2022. God does. And I can choose to be with him in this process, or I can choose to focus on the way that everybody else is working through it. And so what he calls us to do is to change our viewpoint on this, to change, to reframe the way that we see difficulty and actually to choose joy because what's happening during this time frame is that God is using these difficult circumstances first to mold us and then also 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses uh, 7, th 7 through 11, they talk about how God uses the difficult circumstances to, to change us, to mold us into the image of Jesus and to make his life manifested or evident in us. And so you go, hey, God has me in difficult circumstances right now. And the reason behind it is because he wants to transform me and have my life show up so that other people will say, that was Jesus. And so that's why he has us go through difficult circumstances. So we choose joy. The next thing he says is in verse five is let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And that phrase right there is so important um, for, for anybody that's, that's struggling right now. The Lord is near. Um, God is present with us in our pain. Uh, he didn't go somewhere else. He didn't leave us alone. He is right here. In fact, that word near, it means to be the closest um, he, is, he is against us. Uh, they'll say it was, they'll actually say in his hand. The idea is that we are literally embraced by God. That he is, that he is hugging us. That's what that phrase means. That, that the Lord, be, 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 be gracious, be good to others, be kind to others, and know that the reason you can be this way is because God is literally hugging you in the midst of your difficulties. He has you. Okay, he's near. 
He's not far off. He's, he's holding you, right? That's the kind of God and the kind of father that he is. He's not saying, well, when you get it together, I'll give you a hug. He's saying, I know everything's a mess and he's holding you, all right? So that's, that's huge. God is with you. He cares about you. Excuse me. Um, now, the, the problem with that is you can read that and you can say, well, I don't feel like that's the case. I don't feel like he's holding me. I don't feel like he's near. Um, and that may be exactly how you feel. But you have to say, God, I, I trust that you're holding me. I, I believe that you're near. And so we have, a, we have a choice to make where we can say, you know, I, I, I know you're hugging me, but, you know, I, I'm going to kind of push off and get out of the embrace. Or you can say, okay, I'm going to stay right here in the middle of God's embrace. As, as we go through this, there's going to be a couple of things that we see. One is, is God's truth. And the other one is how are you going to interact with God and his truth? So there are exercises of your will that have to take part in this. If you want to get, if you want to live God's ways, if you want to experience mental health, there's a part of you that has to say, okay, I'm going to choose to believe that God is, tr- that God is near and he is holding me. And I'm going to, I'm going to lean into that embrace. Then verse six, he says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So in verse six, he's basically saying, are, are, are you feeling anxious about anything? If you are, talk to God. If you're, if you're feeling anxious, talk to God. And then he uses four words that he, that he describes talking to God or prayer with. The first one uh, is prayer, and that just means general requests, where you're just saying, hey, God, today I'm dealing with this, and uh, this is just kind of the life I'm in, and I just have sort of these general requests of what I'm looking for you to do. Petition is specific needs. So that's when you say, okay, God, um, this coworker is driving me nuts. And I'm having a really hard time interacting with them in a positive way. Or my spouse is doing this and it's really irritating me. Or this political party is doing this and it's really ticking me off. Or whatever it is. You say, this is my specific request. And then he says, when you come to him with these, do it in an attitude of thanksgiving. So you don't come to him with an attitude of I expect you to do exactly what I want here. You, you come to him with an attitude of thanksgiving. You say, this is, this is specifically what I'm, what I'm dealing with. And God, I want to thank you that you're near. I want to thank you that, you, that, you that your presence is with me. I want to thank you for your grace. You, you approach him with thankfulness. And then that last phrase there, request, is specific requests. So petition is like, specifically, I'm struggling with uh, the vaccine mandate. Okay, that's, that's specifically what's really wearing on me right now. And I know for many of you, it is. Because you work for companies with 100 or more people, and maybe you haven't had the vaccination, and now you're being told you have to do it. And so this is something that is specifically bothering you. And so what you could do is you could say, my specific request is that you shut that down, um, and then you make it so that it doesn't happen. And uh, uh, these people that are sort of being tyrannical, I'd like for you to get rid of them and put different leadership in place. And so let's go. After all, God, I know how to handle this. And we can do that with so many different circumstances in our lives where we say, this is my specific request or my specific need, and here's specifically how I want you to deal with it. And then he, he, he might look at you and say, that's not how I'm going to deal with it. In fact, I'm going to leave that pressure on you. 
I'm going to leave this pressure in place because uh, uh, that, that second Corinthians passage talks about us being hard pressed on every side, but never crushed. One of the manifestations of Jesus's life in us is that when difficulty presses in around us, we're not crushed by it, but instead we still experience the life of Jesus. So he's, he's going to leave the pressure on your life so that, so that that pressure, it's going to actually cause you to be molded into his image and then reveal his life to the world around you. And so that's, that's why you would choose joy. Because, God, I recognize that this difficulty is in my life for the purpose of changing me into the image of your son and so that his life could be evident in me, through me, to the world around me so that others would be drawn into relationship with Jesus. That's why you have me going through this. That's why there's a pandemic. That's why there's a mask mandate. That's why there's a, a vaccine mandate. That's, that's why these things are there. Is because God is using them to refine his church and to make his church be something that reveals his life even more. That's why the difficulties are there. And so he says, if you're feeling anxious about this, you just talk to God and be thankful that he's there and that he cares. And he says, if you'll do that, verse seven, if you do that and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so the next thing he says is allow Jesus to guard you um, and he will grant you peace that surpasses or rises above understanding. That's human intellect. And so who in here in their right mind just said, you know, I'm really thankful for the pandemic because God's going to use it to actually develop me into the image of Jesus and then reveal his life through me. Like, Human intellect doesn't do that. Human intellect doesn't do that. Our own, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we don't look at the world around us and go, what an opportunity. We just think, would you please change this? And that's, the, that's true of whatever it is that's weighing on you. I'm using the broad circumstances of the world that we're in right now. But you may be dealing with something far more specific. You may be dealing with something like, like you, you put your, your worth and identity in your performance and, and, and your work is really, really important to you. But what's happening at work is not what you want. Uh, it's not turning out the way that you want it to. Or you put your, your value and your worth in being a spouse. And it's really important that your marriage is perfect, but boy, is it not. And man, I, I really, being a mom is the most important thing to me. And people that I love and care about me have actually been critical of who I am as a mom. And so, man, I am just, just destroyed by this because this is so important to me. And then people that I love were critical of me. Like what is going on? And so your anxiety may be something different than the broad circumstances of the world that we live in. It may be something very specific to you. But he says, if you'll talk to him, you bring these specific needs and come to him with an attitude of thanksgiving and share with him how, how you would solve the problem. Most of the time, the way that we, solved, we would solve the problem, he looks at us and he goes, that's a neat idea. But I had a different one. And so prayer isn't about us changing God's mind. It's about God changing ours. And he says that if we'll allow Jesus to guard us, it will, the, the peace that he brings, the harmony and unity that we have with him and others will rise above our human understanding. Um, and those words that are there, that word guard, it means to set up ramparts and man those ramparts with sentries. It was a, it was a word that was used of, um, they would build a fort in a specific place around something that was important. And they, the, the objective was we're going to hold this area. 
right? Uh, the Romans worked their way all across the, the known world. They made it all the way to like, you know, England. Um, and, and so they're, they're all over the place and they build Hadrian's wall. And what's the wall about? Keep the Scots out. They keep raiding and pillaging. We don't want them there. They would get into specific areas where they would find gold or silver and they develop a mine and they would build a fort around that mine because it was valuable to them. Okay. And they didn't want it to be raided. And that's what God says about your heart and mind. He says, I built up a fort around your heart and your mind because it's valuable to me. And I don't want the enemy getting in there. Okay, that's, that's what he's relaying to us, that Jesus is willing to guard your heart and your mind in that way, my heart and my mind in that way. That word heart, uh, what, he, what Paul develops here, the word heart is the center of each person from which their thoughts and affections flow. So these are the, these are the thoughts you think without thinking, right? It's just the, the baseline assumptions that you have about life. And it's also the things that you love. And we all have these. We all have these just sort of thoughts that we think without thinking. And we all have these affections, these things that we love without ever really choosing them. Okay? And he says, I'm going to guard those. Because I want your baseline assumptions to match the mind of Christ. I want your baseline loves to match the love of God. And that's what he's developing in us. That we would think the way that he thinks and we would love the way that he, love what he loves. And so then, then our choices, and that's what the word mind means, it's the act of the will that are driven by our thoughts and affections. So he says, I want to develop in you thoughts and affections, the, the, the unthought thoughts that you have, just your baseline. I want to develop that to match who, who God, the way that God thinks. And I want your affections, the things that you love, to match what God loves. And when, when he starts to develop that, you begin making choices that you wouldn't make by yourself. Right? So like if your unthought thoughts are that when I see difficulty, I look at it as an opportunity. Like every time difficulty comes, I say opportunity. I don't look at it and say, God change it. I don't want difficulty. I say opportunity. One of my kids just acted up and did something disrespectful at school and they got in trouble with their teacher. You can go, what a mess. Or you can go opportunity. Um, you, something can go wrong at work and you can get in trouble with, with, with a boss, maybe even for something you didn't do. And, and you could go, oh, what a terrible thing has happened. Or you can say opportunity. I'm going to show somebody what it is to walk like Jesus when they get accused of something they didn't do. Did you know that he got accused of things he didn't do and actually crucified for it for us? Like, I'm going to live like Jesus in this situation. So like if you can, if your unthought thoughts can start to be that way, you know, like the, the, the baseline is when I see difficulty, I see opportunity. My bank account isn't the way that I hope it would be. And, and I've had some bad choices in the past because one of the, un, one of the other unhealthy coping me mechanisms that people do is they go, man, life isn't really going the way that I think it should. I'm going to head down to the sportsman's and get a new shotgun. Or, you know, uh, life isn't really going the way that I, I hope it would. I'm going to go get some retail therapy and a new pair of shoes will fix this. And so, like, we can, we can fall into that trap as well. Materialism will make you happy. Just get the new thing. You're going to be okay, right? It's not going to work. So my bank account isn't the way that I hope that it would be because I've, I, my, my rut that I'm in is every time something bad happens, I go buy something so that I could feel better, right? That's, I struggle with that rut. So I'm going to replace that rut and I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to allow him to guard my heart and my mind so that when difficulty comes up, I don't run for the thing that'll make me feel numb, but I run to the thing that him, I run to him so that I can be transformed, He says, if we do that, the peace of God, which surpasses our human understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds. 
And the next thing he teaches us to do is, is how do we replace some of this wrong thinking? So he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And so what he tells us is that if we can learn to replace our thoughts of worry and anxiety by dwelling on these other things, it'll be different. Okay, and that word dwelling, a lot of times you'll see the word dwelling in the scripture, and it means to set up your home or to make an abode. Um, In John chapter one, it talks about Jesus dwelt among us, and that's actually he tabernacled, he made his tent among us. Uh, This word isn't that word. This isn't about making your home in this place. Uh, The word is logosomai, and it means to reckon, calculate, or ponder. And so what what this is telling us to do is that when we're faced with, like if you're faced with a lie, What he wants you to do is reject the lie and focus on something that's true, okay? So true is honest, truthful, not imaginary or false. And what the the place that that the devil loves to lie the most, uh, Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. The place he loves to lie the most is he's, he's he's the best character assassin out there. He will assassinate your character. He will assassinate the character of people that you love and that you're working with. And he will assassinate the character of God. That's what Satan loves to do the most. He comes after your character and he tells you that you're no good. There's no way you could measure up. There's no way uh, based upon these actions in the past, there's no way that God could love you. Or he'll tell you that you're too good based upon your performance. You should be so proud of yourself that you recognize that you don't even need God. You're good on your own. And so he lies to you about your character or he'll lie to you about the character about other people that you love, people that you work with. People that you want to do ministry with. That's his favorite place to lie to people is, is he loves to break down relationships. And so he'll tell you, well, the other day when your spouse did that thing, remember when they did that thing that you found unloving? Or remember when your wife did that thing that you found disrespectful? Yeah, she doesn't respect you. Uh, her, t- her heart towards you is growing hard. Uh, she, she, thinks that, uh, she thinks that you're no good. And that's why, she, that's why she did that thing that you found disrespectful. And then you're like, man, I thought we were supposed to be goodwill towards each other. I, I, I'm pretty sure my wife was goodwill towards me, but she did that thing and I felt really disrespected. And so, man, I, what do I do with this? And he'll creep in and he'll tell you those kind of lies. Remember your, your, your husband, he forgot that thing on the calendar. You're all supposed to laugh because he forgets all the things on the calendar. <laughs> Remember he forgot that. Th- that's his way. I mean, he just doesn't care about what's important to you. He, he, you are not important to him because he can't remember the calendar. And like, it, does, he, does he really not care about you? I'm pretty sure he does. But what Satan will do is he'll creep in and he'll assassinate that other person's character. And he'll do this across the board, not just with spouses. He'll do this with people that you work, excuse me, people that you work with. He'll do this with people in the political arena. And those are people we'll never have the chance to understand. But the people that we can understand, the ones that we love and the ones that we work with, you can walk right up to them and you say, honey, the other day when you, or actually not the other day, but every time you forget what's on the calendar, it makes me feel unloved. Could we set something up where maybe we go through this on a weekly basis so that we're on the same page? And he's going to go, oh, absolutely. Now, does he have ruts that he needs to get out of because he's developed bad patterns? Absolutely. You're going to have to work with him and vice versa. But you can actually look the person in the eye and say, I care enough about you to do the hard work of relationship and sort this thing out. So we focus on what's true. We focus on what's honorable. That's worthy of respect or dignified, that which can and should be taken seriously. So instead of disrespecting myself and others, I will, I will honor the image of God in myself and others. 
Instead of looking at what's going on in the world and saying, well, this group of people's no good because they do this. And this group of people's no good because they do that. And this individual person is no good because they believe what this group of people says, right? And so you, you, start, to, you start to disrespect other people instead of going, you know, I'm pretty sure they were made in the image of God just like me. In fact, the Bible tells me that they were made in the image of God just like me. And odds are they know something true about God that, that, that I could highlight and bring them into closer relationship with God. Focus on what's just, that's what's righteous, fair, equitable, that which treats you and others as God um, and God as you wish to be treated. So the idea behind this is instead of being upset about how things aren't fair and then reciprocating with more wrong action, you treat others as you want to be treated. So somebody says, you know, well, I believe that the, the approach that everyone should take with the vaccine is fill in the blank. And that includes you, right? So I believe that this is the only right approach to this and everyone else should do it. And you're like, well, I believe in a God that values liberty over tyranny. And that sounds kind of tyrannical to me. So I'm not going for the tyranny bit on this, but what I will do is I'll treat you with respect. If you want to make that choice, make that choice. But last time I checked, you weren't in the business of telling me what my conscience ought to do. And so I'm going to do what my conscience leads me to do. You do what your conscience leads you to do. Remember, Paul wrote this in a time where there was a group of people who couldn't have unity. This is ripping the church apart right now. The idea that there's one answer to matters of conscience. There's not. There's many answers to matters of conscience. Uh, the word pure is that what's out without guilt or defect, that which is holy and which sets, apart, sets, it to, sets itself apart from the fallen world. So instead of looking at things that are impure, I will only allow my eyes to focus on what is pure. Um, uh, the use of pornography, I mean, we told you, it's gone way up. It's gone way up. And so if, if you're somebody that struggles with pornography, most people do this because they've developed a habit. And this isn't just with pornography, it's with most things. But they've de developed a habit where when they don't feel good, they turn to something that will make them feel good, even just for that moment. You might feel guilty and terrible later, but in that moment, it feels so good. And you get, the, you get the chemical rush in your brain, and so you keep going back to it. And that's the rut that you've developed. You've developed a rut that every time something goes wrong, if I just look at these images, I'll feel better. Or you've developed a rut where every time something feels wrong, if I just have a little bit more food, I'll feel better. Right? And so we develop these unhealthy ruts. And so this is saying, instead of looking at things that are impure, I will only allow my eyes to focus on what is pure. And if you struggle with pornography, you, you, like make this your line. I will only look at things that are pure. I will not allow my mind to focus on things that are impure. So every time that the, an image pops up on the phone, every time that there's a, something on the TV, every time that a magazine comes through the front door, these things are impure. I will not let this trash to fill my eyes. I'm getting rid of it. And that's a choice that you have to make. Now, have you developed ruts and is that going to be difficult? Totally. And we're going to talk about in a second, Paul says being in relationship with somebody that has victory is really important for you. But you just say, I'm not doing this anymore. Buddy at work says, hey, check this out. No, I don't look at the impure. I only let my eyes focus on what's pure. Lovely has the idea of pleasing, agreeable, uh, dear or beloved, that which brings 
uh, a sense of goodness and delight. And so this is a sense of goodness and delight. So like the idea here is that when God sees this, he just says, that is wonderful. Um, and so instead of fixating on what I've done, I'm going to center my attention or excuse me, instead of fixating on what I don't have, I'm going to center my attention on how God has blessed me. Um, and so many of us feel like we need more to have a sense of goodness or delight. Well, if I could just get this one more thing, then I would experience the sense. And so instead of fixing on what I don't have, I'm going to fix on, fix my eyes on what God has blessed me with. Commendable is praiseworthy. Uh, Galatians 5.23, against these things, there is no law. Uh, that's talking about the fruit of the spirit in that verse. And so instead of complaining, I will live for the one who is the source of everything that is good. Um, I'm going to live for the things that anybody would say, that is, that is good. That person's full of love. They're full of kindness. They're full of gentleness. They're full of self-control. Man, just look at how that person lives. And so anybody would say, that's good. Moral excellence is virtuousness, that which keeps in step with God's designs. So instead of indulging my vices, I will abide in the one who emanates virtue. Like God has laid out, this is what, what righteous living looks like. And so what we have to do is we have to make a conscious choice to say, instead of indulging my flesh and my vices, I'm going to abide, I'm going to stay connected to the one who is the source of virtue in life. Praiseworthy is approval, that which receives the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's actually Matthew 25, 21. Uh, the two got left out. Um, but uh, so the approval. And so instead of living for the praise of this world, I live in the approval of my father. And that's such a big difference. Um, the idea that many of us live with is that God, God needs us to live up to his standards and then he'll approve us. Um, and, and, and this comes from all kinds of different sources, but usually it's our childhood where we feel like if I live up to what my parents need, then I'll get their approval. Um, and maybe you grew up in a house like that. That's not who God is. Uh, he, he gives you his, you, you live in his approval, not for it. You see, because what Jesus Christ did on the cross is he paid the consequences for everything that's wrong that we've ever done and that we would ever do. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't go, man, what a mess up. He says, that person is in my son. They're complete. They're whole. They have my approval. And, and, and what religion does is it tells us work really hard and God will accept you. What Christianity does is it says Christ works so hard on your behalf that you have God's approval. So you don't live for his approval, you live in it. And that's such a freeing place to be. And then what Paul says is, if you want to really get good at this, he says, do what you have learned and received and heard in me and seen in me, for the God of peace will be, excuse me, and the God of peace will be with you. And so what he's saying here is find somebody in whom these traits are evident and hang out with them. Um, you, have a you have trouble fixating on what is pure? Man, hang out with somebody who doesn't. Um, spend time with somebody who's learned the secret to having victory in that area. Um, you, you, have, you have trouble fix fixing your mind on things that are, are true instead of the lies? Oh, man, walk with, walk with somebody who's spent a little bit longer than you with Jesus and they can spot the truth over the lie. Um, you, you have a tendency to give in to your, your vices and the, the indulgences of your flesh. Moral excellence is a hard thing for you to focus on. 
Hang out with somebody who you just look at them and you go, that person emanates God's virtue. Like it just flows out of them. They're not perfect, but man, are they growing in the Lord to a point where you just see peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control over and over in them. So he's, that's what he's saying. And for him, he's saying, you saw it in me. Now I want you to do this. I want you to practice it. And that word, he, he tells us to do it. You could also say practice these things. And that word practice has the idea of you make a choice to do it now and now and now and now and now. And you just keep making the choice to do it. And then what he draws out of this is as time goes by, you'll, you'll practice these things. And the word learned, um, that means to appropriate to oneself truth, skills, and behaviors that are put into practice. And so uh, you, you see these skills, these truths, the behaviors put in practice by somebody else. It's like the idea of an apprenticeship. You spend time around somebody that, uh, that, that knows how to make cabinets. And as long as you're not clumsy like me, you probably learn how to make cabinets, right? It's that idea that the, the, the apprenticeship is taking place. Received uh, as the idea of take along as, as a successor to embody the attributes of another through close proximity. Again, you see this apprenticeship. Um, when uh, The idea is that as we hang out with God or we hang out with somebody who's close to God, it starts to show up in us. Um, and when I was a kid, my mom, she would have these phone conversations with a friend. Named, named, her name was Debbie. And when my mom would talk on the phone with Debbie, she would start doing Debbie's vocal inflections. She would laugh like Debbie. And it was like, I didn't need to know, but mom was on the phone with Debbie. She only does that with her. Um, and that's kind of the idea that's being drawn out here is that as you, as you develop a close friendship with somebody, uh, you, you start to take on these attributes. Uh, heard is to listen and obey because of deep understanding and belief in the goodness of what is taught. And so as somebody walks you through the scriptures, you go, I believe what's being said because I see the goodness. I see the goodness of God. I see the goodness of, of his truth. I see the goodness of who he is and what he's done. And so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Uh, seen is to see, perceive, and experience the truth of another's character. Paul's saying, you saw this character in me, um, embody it in yourself. And then he says, if you do that, you'll experience the peace, which is unity and harmony with God. And so as, we go, as we've gone through this, God has three big answers for us when we experience anxiety. The first one, that he is near to you and he is guarding your heart and mind. Um, the first thing he's telling us is live in his presence. Live in his presence. Uh, the second one is he offers truth uh, that he wants to impart to you. He wants to give you the truth that comes from the scriptures. He wants to be with you and he wants to give you truth. Um, and then he wants you to, to ponder and practice that truth with others and experience his peace. Um, and so if you're, in a, if you're in a season of anxiety, the, the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself. Um, uh, and, and what he's drawing out here is kind of like this illustration. And people will talk about anxiety as being a, a heavy weight that's on them. It's just something that, that weighs them down, okay? And so the idea here is that like somebody is just, they're just under this weight, right? And it's just bent them down. They're, they're just crushed underneath it. And they say, God, I know you're near. And, and I know that you're embracing me. And, and it sort of draws them up a little bit. And, and, I, and I'm learning this truth and now I'm practicing this truth with other people. And, and the, my circumstances haven't changed. Like what's going on around me is still there. But I'm, but I'm filtering it way differently than I was before. Because I see that you're with me. I have your truth. And I'm not walking alone. I'm with others. And he raises us up out of that. 
Jesus talks about taking up our, our, his yoke. And the idea of is a yoke, there's two animals and they're plowing. And he says, you've been plowing all by yourself. You've been trying to do this all on your lonesome. And you're tugging and you're pulling and you're not getting anywhere. He says, let me get in there with you. And I'm going to lift it up and I'm going to pull. You walk with me, but I'm going to lift it up and I'm going to pull. And ultimately, that's what he wants us to know as we face uh, any type of mental health crisis, whether it be anxiety or whatever else. He wants us to, to have that kind of peace because we're with him, we have his truth, and there's others walking alongside us that we're growing and learning with. So that's, that's the idea of discipleship that shows up in the scriptures, this big idea of learning to be like the uh, the, the rabbi, the Messiah, Jesus. You walk with him. He carries the weight um, and he carries uh, others alongside you to do the same. So um, let me pray. We're gonna take communion together. Today's service is gonna go a little bit long. If anybody wants to warn Angel in the back, she's got a, probably an extra eight minutes with the kids than normal. Um, but uh, Brendan's gonna come up here in a second and we're gonna take communion. So let me pray. Father, we thank you uh, this morning for the opportunity to be in your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be together. Uh, God, most of all, we thank you that you are with us. Um, you, are, you are here with us. You are all powerful. You are loving. You are compassionate. You are kind. You are good. Um, and you embrace us in the midst of our struggles. Thank you that you give us truth, that we can learn to think the right way and then make the right choices based upon what you've revealed. God, we, we also thank you that you've given us fellow believers to walk in this with. Um, and, and God, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior yet, that they would see uh, the goodness of relationship with you. Um, you, you want to be with each and every person in the midst of their life and what they go through uh, to, to deliver purpose and meaning and hope uh, to our struggles. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope this message brought you hope and positive steps that you can take towards seeking God and knowing His peace. If you would like prayer or support, you can always text us or call us at 775-984-8787. Once again, that phone number is 775-984-8787. Next week will be an exciting week as we dive into Psalm 119 and take a close look at discovering God's answers for times of depression. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we are so glad that you are a part of the family.